Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sims. And today on the line, I'm super excited to have Mr. Mike Strain, who is the commissioner of the Louisiana Department of Agriculture, with us to talk about food and farming and forestry, I guess. <laughs> so thanks for joining me, Mr. Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Chef. I, I tell you what, it's a it's a, a great day to talk about food and, and, of course, farming and forestry. Well, it's an always a great day. I start off every morning. I, I do a, a syndicated show on all the rural networks, and it always starts off the same. It's an absolutely great day, Louisiana agriculture, forestry, and aquaculture. Beautiful day outside because, see, I like the rain. I like the rain. I, well, I particularly like the rain on the days that I get to sleep in and I don't <laughs> have to go to work early in the morning. But there's something about as soon as I woke up the other day and the weather started changing, I checked my Facebook feed, and there must have been 200 posts of people saying, it's gumbo weather. <laughs> it absolutely is. And what you want to think about, today is a great day to go get some wonderful seafood or undoy gumbo. Think about this. And, of course, we always say buy fresh, buy local. You know, get some Louisiana shrimp in there, some Gulf or some uh, Lake Pontchartrain crabs. And, of course, you know, you may need a little undoing in there and cook it down. And, I, you know, I like kind of a dark roux because, you know, I'm raised on the Creole side of the river. And just cook it down and use Louisiana rice, some wonderful, beautiful Louisiana rice. And you get that gumbo really hot. And, of course, you know, you probably need some French bread. Now, me, I like the chewy French bread, you know, and my wife likes the kind of the, the crispy French bread. So, but you take that, that French bread and you put it in the oven just a little bit, that chewy French bread, and put on a little, a little real butter. My goodness. Now, you think about that for lunch. I say, I, I guarantee your mouth is already watering. Absolutely. That sounds like uh, my cup of tea. I will say, Mr. Mike, I have to ask you because one of the, you know, the hottest, most complicated questions you can ask anyone from South Louisiana because they are always right in their answer or their mama was always oh, right mama was right when you talk about gumbo do yes. you have any rules about what can and can't like can your sea and your land animals be in the same pot oh, what rules do you have absolutely well my grandmother was really the one that taught us how to cook gumbo and her maiden name she was hilda maranger and her mother was a bourgeois and so, and on my grandfather's side, I'm a descendant of the uh, Bosher family, or Bossier. And so when we talk about gumbo, gumbo is a big deal. Now, the thing about gumbo, gumbo is something that you cook all day, right? And you have to start off, and what we would do, my grandmother would send us out into the woods. See, I was raised on a farm in the woods, and we would get bay leaves and everything. We would get the herbs, and she would start you know, early in the morning, and she would start off with a dark root. But we always would have some shrimp, we'd have some crabs, and, you know, and often a little undoey in there, and it cooked all day. And then you serve that over rice. But it's whatever, you know, it's kind of whatever you like. And see, for me, when I cook gumbo, you know, it's kind of, you, know, you know, what do I have, what do I feel like? You know, sometimes I'll put chicken in there sometimes. And some people, and on some days my grandmother, she actually liked the small little weenies, little hot dogs. She'd always put that in her gumbo. She just liked that. And so, but it's a gumbo, you cook gumbo from the heart. And you got, now I like, you know, you're going to have to have a little bit of okra in that gumbo. I like that, that, that thickness in there. 
And so, but, you know, if you get on the other side of the state, they like a lighter roux, yeah. not quite as dark. And so on, and then, you know, closer in New Orleans, it's kind of a, almost a, sh- a sharp tasting, more of a, a pecan-flavored, you know, roux, because you've made that roux, you know, you've cooked that flour down a little bit more. And But the thing of it is, and especially when it's really, really, really good, is the second day, right? Yes, something happens. And, and then, you know, if, what you don't eat, you put it in the refrigerator, and the next day when you heat it up, it is absolutely incredible. But you still have to have some fresh French bread. Absolutely. And I, there's something that happens, I think, with just about all Louisiana food. It gets really happy overnight in the refrigerator. Oh, it does. But... And, Absolutely. I like to say if I'm going to, I believe in eating all your leftovers and wasting nothing. So if I'm going to have gumbo, you know, Friday night, it's cold, it's chilly, we're out by the fire, something like that. But Sunday morning, I like that gumbo (laughs) over grits with a poached egg. And I'm like, this is heaven on a plate. (laughs) And I tell you what's real popular now. You know, is having uh, either shrimp or, or or like a crawfish etouffee. Many things now over grits. Absolutely. And many people are, are you know, traditionally we cook grits rather coarse grits, and now, uh, really, people are cooking grits. Them they are cooking them down, putting a little bit of heavy cream in there. Uh, sometimes pureeing the grits a little bit, making a little bit smoother, and then adding a lot of things. You know, where you where you would have used mashed potatoes, Irish potatoes. Now you're using grits. And the other thing that we're doing, we are using Louisiana sweet potatoes. Think about that. You cook those sweet potatoes down. Now, the other night, we made a sweet potato soup, and my wife and I made it, and she did most of the work, and I did most of the talking, as you can imagine. And, but we took the Louisiana sweet potatoes, because this time of year, we always buy a few cases of Louisiana sweet potatoes. Peeled them, diced them, and put them in with, 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 with water and boiled them down, and then just kind of hand mash them there and and then you mix that into a a a a coarse but a liquid consistency and then add a little bit of cinnamon and some butter and and cook that down more and and just to taste and you talk about absolutely incredible that louisiana sweet potato soup and now if you don't have you know you can if you don't have any butter you can use a half and half cream or a little bit of milk it's whatever you want whatever consistency you want uh, but it's really good if you're going to make a really rich dish that, you you know, you cook it down in water, but then you add half and half cream to it, and then maybe a little butter if you want it a little bit uh, more more buttery, and you add a little bit of cinnamon to it, but it, it's just incredible. We are so blessed here. You know, in other parts of the United States, and I've traveled the country extensively, I just finished my year as being head of the nation's ag commissioners and two and a half years as head of the the Republican ag commissioners. And but we are truly blessed. You know, I, I love the entire United States, but when it comes down to food, you have to come to Louisiana. It just doesn't get any better than this. We are so spoiled rotten here, and you know, you're going on and on about the sweet potatoes. And I have uh, a family member who comes from Avoyles Parish, and so of uh-huh. course, you know, sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes. Uh-huh. And his mama would put a whole sweet potato in the gumbo pot so that when the gumbo cooked, the sweet potato cooked, and then they would eat the sweet potato the next day because it was already seasoned, cooked, and they could have a sweet potato for, for dinner the next night. And so they, she could get two, two dishes out of one dish well, that way. And that's what we you know, tell up. Like when you cook rice, you can cook rice, you know, you can cook a big pot of rice and use it for several days. 
You don't have to cook, you know, and the thing about it, and they have these wonderful rice cookers, ever how you cook it, but you can cook for days. And one of the things we tell a lot of people, if you're going to bake, you know, get several dishes together, put them in the oven, do them, bake them at the same time, and either refrigerate or freeze them, and just more efficient use of what you have. You know, and there's so many, you know, wonderful things. We're blessed with the, for instance, the seafood. I mean, where else can you have, you know, the shrimp and the crabs and the, and the crawfish? And, of course, I like to use, you know, wonderful U.S. catfish. And New Orleans is known for food. You know, it's known for food, you know, whether it's Cajun or it's Creole, you know, or, you you know, it's Italian, Irish, or German. There's so many waves of migration, and each, each group of people, each family brings, you know, their cooking uh, with them. And, and so and now for us that have been here for generations, you know, our, what we cook is an amalgamation of everything. Absolutely. And, you know, I like to think, I tell people all the time that that whole farm to table trend that other places in the world and in the country, some call it a trend. I like to think that we as Louisianians were cool before that was cool because well, farm to table is our thing. Like it's, a, we, it's a cycle. If You know, where you're at in New Orleans, what most people don't see is that there are courtyards in, in, in most every square. Those courtyards is where they had their, everyone had a garden. Everyone grew food, they grew herbs, they grew many things. And so what happened, you know, at the turn of the century, when we started, quote, going to industrial-sized farms, people quit growing their own fruits and vegetables. And now we're going back to that. And just think about, you know, even if you only have a little bit of space, you can grow, you know, you can put lemon trees or citrus products, you know, you can grow that. In pots, my wife likes to grow her tomatoes actually in these big, uh, big pots, and so you can grow a lot on a little bit of space. You know, you 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 raise three or four tomato plants, that's more tomatoes than you can ever eat. And if you look at the amount of, of produce you can grow in a small space, it's tremendous. And me, you know, I I really like being able to go out and pick my own Meyer lemon, fresh, off the vine bring it inside, rinse it off, and then use that over fish. You know, maybe it's just something in my head, but I'm telling you, those fresh, the fresh citrus right off the plant is just, it tastes incredible. And you can raise those. You can raise those in your own backyard, you know, and I'm very fortunate that I live on a farm, and, and so, you know, we, we, we have our you know, own fresh table eggs that are from the farm, and, and of course, you know, we, we've raised this year, we had sweet potatoes. Our tomatoes were really, really nice. And, of course, I like to raise fresh shallots and other things. And uh, this, this spring, we're going to be putting in a much larger garden. My brother and I are going to plant a big garden actually on our home farm. And so we're gearing up for that. And so that's what farm boys do. But it's, we're blessed that we can do that. And when you take those homegrown products and you bring them in the kitchen and you cook them down, uh, it, it's, just, it, it's just incredible how good it is. And, you know, there's something about once you get that farming bug, it is in your blood. You know, I grew up in uh, Gonzales, Louisiana, and on a farm in Prairieville. We were a cattle farm. We never had chickens. We had a rabbit one time, but we named him Jambalaya because after I had to clean up after him, that's what I knew he was going to become. But uh-huh. <laughs> but you realize that once you start, you know, farming and growing and taking care of animals, you're like, Oh my God! I gotta do this, and you—it's ha- in your blood, and you well, just can't you stop. Dirt under your fingernails, and we're part of the land. You know, when I tell people, you know, 
agriculture and farming, you know, we're, you know, we're part of the earth. And for us, you know, it, it's, it's, and it gets better over time. I tell people all the time, a farm is, is not like a light switch. You just don't turn it on and off. It's like a marriage. It gets better with time. And so, you know, and, and, you know, we really care about our land and we work very hard and, you know, and just like now I'm trying to raise bees. Now, my first set of bees left me. I'm so and I jealous. I know where they're at. They went and hid somewhere. They went to a cypress tree not far away. So, you know, I fussed at them, but we're going to be getting more bees. So we're going to be raising bees, and they're going to be right next. You know, we have a, some small out, some apple trees, and, of course, you know, we have, you know, some grapevines there, and it's right where we have the gardens. But the bees help pollinate the gardens, but also there's going to be a big plus when we harvest the honey. Well, Mr. Mike, you got to invite me because I want to wear the bee outfit. And I oh, wanna... you got to wear the bee outfit now, <laughs> especially since if the bees don't know you, right? Bees are very smart creatures, and they will release an, an alert pheromone if they don't know you, and you'll need the suit. But, you know, generally, they, you know, they don't bother anybody, and I like seeing the bees, and I'm really excited about trying to learn about how to raise honeybees. Absolutely. And, you know, I hear uh, there there's a, a company out of Baton Rouge. It's called Bokash Honey. And uh, she sat down with me one day and had 20 different kinds of honey from across wow. Louisiana. That's right. That's right. And That's every right. single one of them tasted differently. And my uh, favorite course. was the one from the sugarcane fields. because. The f- Extra sweet. Yes. The flavor before the harvest was grassy. The flavor of the honey after the harvest was almost like molasses. It was crazy. You know, that honey can totally change colors and flavor. So you can have purple honey if you have lots of blackberries around. So I have to ask you, Mr. Mike, you know, when we're looking at, you know, all the great things that we are fortunate to have here in South Louisiana, the the, the produce, the, the fisheries, that you know, everything. We are so, so lucky. But I feel like, you know, it's the kind of thing that we want to teach the next generations to embrace and to protect and to become stewards of that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So what are y'all doing to, like, to get kids excited about there are a number of things. First of all, we support the 4-H and the FFA programs. Uh, if you look at the Future Farmers of America, there's about 17,000 kids, uh, mostly in high school, involved in the FFA, and that is vocational agriculture. There are more than 225,000 uh, children, young people, involved in 4-H, so that is a big part of that. We also do a number of programs, next-generation programs, et cetera, through the Ag Center and through a variety of of institutions where we get young people, high school and early college, and put them through leadership programs. But we're really reaching out in every way possible to that next generation. And in every type of profession, I'm a veterinarian by profession, so we have the quote, the power of 10, where we're taking young veterinarians and teaching them about leadership. And so exposing young people and continue to talk to young people and doing a number of programs, especially uh, at the level of high school, where we now are working on the these, it's called it's like an industry credit. It's called an IPC, uh, whereas you can be trained in agriculture, and it helps. You have to have at least one IPC uh, to graduate from high school. But where we're teaching agriculture, you know, in the high schools across the state. And you know, I, I look at 
how difficult it is to be a farmer. I, I've met some uh, the guys from Mahaffey Farms up in North Louisiana. You know, I know friends and family that are in the industry, and mm-hmm. we saw a generation kind of fall out where their parents or their grandparents were tired, they were exhausted, it was hard work, and they sent their kids out into the world and out of the state. But now we're starting to see these, um, you know, 30-somethings quitting their careers and saying, I want to be a farmer and uh, raise the next generation of farmers. And it's kind of exciting, but it's so, uh, you know, they're, they're jumping out into the unknown in some ways. Well, they are, and agriculture is big business. I tell everybody a farm is not 80 acres and a mule. You know, if you look at your average, you know, large production facility, say a 1,000-acre farm, well, just to buy that farm, you're looking at a minimum probably six to $7,000 an acre. So 1,000 acres, $7 million. If you look at uh, the, the, the amount of equipment, you know, you can add another $5 million. You can quickly you know, be there in that 15 to $20 million worth of assets, including the land. And, the, and what happens over time is that as in agriculture, you do accumulate assets, but agriculture is big business, and it's going to be bigger business. And we, you know, agriculture went from $5.7 billion to now $13 billion in 10 years. 10 years from now, it'll be $25 billion. So it is a growing business, with, and the world is going to increase its need for food at a rate of about two and a quarter percent per year. Wow. Per year. And our production is only increasing about two percent per year. And so the thing of it is, is that the demand is going to be there, you know, through, from now to the, to the end of time. We have to raise more food between now and 2050 than we have since the dawn of civilization. Think about that. That is a lot to absorb. That's a lot, a lot. That's a big number. It's a big number. And the thing of it is, is that agriculture, they're not making any more land. And so now if you have the opportunity to go into agriculture and to accumulate that, now is the time. And it's, it is an intense business. It's high technology now. Uh, you know, it's so, you know, and you, I mean, you have to either have been born in it or be well-trained in it. So it is big business. Uh, so all the parameters have changed in agriculture. I mean, just you need to go look at a new tractor and look at the technology there. And talk about, you know, the, the new types of seeds, our new productivity, all the things that we're doing. And we raise plants scientifically. Most, most of your large farmers, they have consultants on staff looking at the crops. You know, we monitor moisture because, again, if you irrigate water, it costs money. Water costs money, just like any other input. So we're doing all these type of scientific algorithms, John Deere tractors in the irrigation business with monitors to know exactly how much water to use when we need it. We're doing innovative things such as uh, root drip irrigation, where the actual the the water is supplied below the level of the ground at the level of the roots of the plants in the rows, and that's where you do your fertilizer and your watering and all those sorts of things to increase production, because we have to we have to more than double agricultural production in the world between now and 2050, and since we are part of the one of the the great breadbaskets of the world, we need to triple agriculture. Wow. So that's, and so that's reflected in the value of the land and <clears throat> where we are all going. And then, you know, you have those of us, you know, I was born and raised on a farm. And, you know, I always thought, man, if I could just get off this farm. So, I, you know, when I'm a veterinarian by training and profession, and I did farm medicine. And now, you know, I just love being back on the farm 
you know, and I, and I, of course, I love food animal production because I'm a food animal veterinarian. Well, it's funny how that happens because I grew up on a cattle farm, too, and I'm like, I got to get out of the country. I got to go to the big city. Mm-hmm. And my husband's like, you cannot take the country out of the girl. I got four lots here in New Orleans that I'm, you know, got my chickens. I got all my vegetables. I'm growing sugar cane. And he's like, oh, my gosh, you know, you can't. There's something about you can't take it out of you once you get it in there. But we are by no means high tech or innovative. But I see, you know, just this year, we've decided that we had a problem with ants. We had a problem with water. So we switched for this spring. We're doing everything in hay bales to see how that works, because someone said, hey, try something different and see if it works. Innovation, right? Yeah. Well, farmers have been innovating since the dawn of time. That's the nature of agriculture. It's the nature of selection of new seeds and new technologies. And it's through innovation. The only way we're going to increase production, right, is through innovation. I mean, you look at those fields, you know, you say, well, how can I get another plant there? How can I increase production? But we always do. And so if you look at, you know, some of the new discussions, for instance, a lot of farmers say, well, you know, I could probably change the way this row is made and have two plants versus one on the top of the row. And, you know, and decrease the space in between and have better utilization, you know, of all of my inputs, less cost, more productivity, you know, better and faster ways to harvest. You know, and if you, if you look at it or just look at the new drone technologies there, innovative ways to deal with things. It's so cool. We only have a few minutes left, and I know we're approaching the holidays and there are a lot of things that are in season. We know we got our sweet potatoes. We know we got our citrus. What should we? What Louisiana oh, products you, should we be cooking well, with? I, I think you need to make sure you have some Louisiana pecans, right? Yes. You need to have some local Louisiana honeys. Uh, and I think if you look at Louisiana, just overall Louisiana produce, and don't forget, you know, if you can find some Louisiana frozen, you know, crawfish, because it's not crawfish season yet, uh, think about some U.S. catfish to put in with that. You know, get all of your local Louisiana products. What I tell you, you know, go buy a Shop at a farmer's market. Go buy an, or a roadside stand. Go to the local section of your grocery store. If you have a friend that has a farm, see what they have. And, of course, whenever you can, grow your own. There's so many. You Think about gifts of food. You know, for the holidays, people just really love that. And I can tell you in our family, the other thing that we do, uh, we give uh, plants. You know, in other words, I have a cousin. Uh, cousin Jim Strain brings me a different type of citrus plant each year that we plant. And so we we do a lot of that, and we you know are just different gifts that people have. But if you take those citrus plants and you can put them in your own backyard or or whatever, and so gifts of food, gifts of of plants, you know those are things that come from the heart. Or some baked goods, get in there and bake some goods, you know, and 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 give that. And think about you know or you're going to take those Louisiana sweet potatoes. And you're going to cook that sweet potato casserole with those Louisiana pecans. Think about cane syrup, right? Get some local yes. cane syrup, a sweet potato pie. My goodness, it, it, it's just what's out there. And, of course, don't forget, you got to have your French bread, right? you got to have your French bread. I, I tell you what, man, you're making me hungry. <laughs> You know, we, uh, this has been so fun. And, uh, you know, I could talk food, Louisiana products, until, you know, into next month, because we are so fortunate and so lucky. 
And we have the ability that these things don't have to be shipped miles and miles and miles. We can get this around the corner from our house. We're truly blessed. Well, Mr. Mike, we're almost out of time, but is there anything else you want to share with our listeners, maybe how they can find out more about what you're doing and what services are available from the Department of Agriculture? Absolutely. We have a website. You can go to www.ldaf.la.gov, and we have. A, you can take a look. You can go through there. And, of course, uh, just check us out. Check us out on Facebook. Well, y'all, you've been listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. Today, we were joined by Mr. Mike Strain from the Louisiana Department of Agriculture. I'm Chef Amy Sins. So until next time, ciao.